Welcome to the perfume room. I'm not wearing anything today, but I'll tell you what I wore all weekend long, and that is Barionda by Nasamato. My bottle arrived Friday morning. It has been a game changer. I've been wearing it all weekend. I posted a video about it on TikTok, um, and I think I talked about it in last week's episode too, but I'm just loving it for the summer. It's boozy, it's whiskey-ish, but it's also very like fruity and sweet, almost like apricotty. Like it feels a little stone fruity um, and like this slight tropical vibe. I don't know. It's been satiating all my cravings. I am really enjoying it. Um, I did buy it off FragranceNet, which I see it is now sold out. You can also get it on Lucky Scent, and I do have a discount there. My code on Lucky Scent is PR10. That is P as in perfume, R as in room. PR10 will get you 10% off any order over $40. And you know what? I will link some of my current favorite Lucky Scent picks in the notes of this episode in case you're looking for some inspiration for your next scent. What is my perfume juice today? My perfume juice is that I am still not over attending the Fragrance Awards last week. It was so amazing to be in a room with so many fragrance luminaries, see so many former and future guests, meet so many new cool people. I will share a highlight of the evening, which was that there was like a main dining room and there was a terrace directly outside of it where people were kind of like hanging out, mingling. So I went out later in the night and I happened to see Frank Vocal in a moment where he wasn't talking to anyone. And so I went up to Frank Vocal, introduced myself and was just like, thank you. To quote Fallout Boy, thank you for the memories. But in this case, the scent memories. Thank you, sir. Don't worry, guys. I played it cool. But like, this is the person behind Santal 33, Glossier U, Tay Noir 29, one of my new favorites, Roses on Ice by Killian. So many seminal fragrances. And if you're wondering how Frank Vocal responded to this, he was so modest and humble and was just like, yeah, it's all part of the job. It's what I love to do. Like what? Imagine that's your job. Like this man created Santal 33. And you know what? I don't care if you wear Santal 33 personally or not. You cannot deny that this fragrance was iconic, shaped an entire decade, shaped an entire generation, and is responsible for getting a whole new group of people into the world of niche and luxury perfume. So yeah, still not over the fragrance awards, still not over meeting Frank Vocal, but onto something even more important which is happy pride. It is June. It is pride month. And to celebrate minus literally today's episode, this is the only exception because I just like messed up the calendar a little bit. Every episode this month celebrates and highlights a different queer voice in or adjacent to the fragrance industry. Last week, I chatted with Boy Smells founder Matthew Herman, and we had an enlightening conversation about what it means to gender fragrance and how he is creating fragrance that is post-binary, that is genderful. And I love that Boy Smells, rather than neutralizing gender or sexuality or queerness, celebrates it. And this is something that I hope to see more brands authentically do. Center queer voices and stories in your fragrances and campaigns. I am so freaking tempted to tell you guys who the other June guests are, but I am keeping it a surprise. So let's get to today's episode. And listen, okay, I know I say this a lot, so maybe it loses its weight, but today's episode is truly one of my favorites, and here is why. 
If you have ever been curious about the fragrance lover to classically trained perfumer pipeline, that is exactly what we discuss with today's guest, Ashley Santiago, aka Ashley in Paris, who is, you guessed it, a fragrance lover turned classically trained perfumer. Currently, she's an apprentice at Givadon's Perfume School. And if you're wondering, Emma, what is an apprentice perfumer versus a regular perfumer or for that matter, even a master perfumer? Guess what? Ashley takes us through all the different ranks, what they mean and how one achieves them. We also talk about how accords are created, how exactly perfumers recreate naturals to perfection, why fragrance notes are often more of a marketing play than a literal ingredient list, and just in general, a day in the life of Ashley in Paris, who for the record preceded Emily in Paris. Here is Ashley. Welcome to the perfume room. How are you doing today? I'm doing super well. I have to say I'm very, very excited to be here. I'm so excited to have you. You know, we talked what was it now, like a month or two ago? And I was mm-hmm. just like, I got to get this girl on my podcast. Your background and your story is so interesting. Before we dive into it, I always start the pod by asking, what are you currently wearing? Okay, I did put on something kind of special for you. Um, so uh, I can't wear perfume at work, but when I came home, I spritzed on my custom Maison Francis Kirk Dijon fragrance which my boyfriend got for me as like a special gift. And it's a a custom and I'm a big fan of Oud Satin Mood. And and I also love the Oud Silk Mood. And I had both bottles, but it was very hard for me to choose. And so this is like the perfect combination of the two of them in one fragrance. When you say custom, like did Francis Christian... What? So you know him? Like what's, (laughs) there's gotta be a story here. What? So um, my boyfriend was like bidding in a charity auction type of situation. And I was like, oh wow, like they're offering a customization on a Maison Francis Kirk Dijon. Like not thinking he was actually gonna like bid on it for me, just kind of being like, oh my God, like that's incredible. Like I hadn't met him before and I was such a huge fan of the brand. And then like, a couple of days later, he's like, oh, so I got us the custom. And I was like floored, obviously. It was like the sweetest thing. And the experience was so beautiful. This is going to sound like maybe a bit too like cloying for a relationship, but it's very much like a couple's perfume. So like, you know, we went to the boutique together and smelled through the range. And then we got to meet with Francis and he was one of the kindest, like most generous humans with his time. Like he really like worked through, I pitched like a couple different ideas to him. He pitched us ideas. He was like, just so kind. Like he spent two hours talking to me because I mean, I'm sure it was clear that I was such a fangirl and Mm -hmm. it was just an incredible experience. My jaw's on the floor for everyone listening. And also he must've loved, like, was this like in an auction for like perfumers? Like he must've loved that you were a perfumer and could like really talk shop with him about how to customize it, right? Yeah, I'm not exactly sure um, what the charity was. It's a a charity that I think my boyfriend is passionate about, Um, but it was separate. It was separate from perfume completely. So it was just kind of like, surprise, I'm also, you know, uh, in in Givadon Perfume School and a huge fan of perfumery. But it was very cool getting to talk about like the minutia of the fragrance with him. And yeah. Okay, so I know I'm harping on this, but I just I can't drop it. What did you customize? 
So I really wanted like both of these fragrances in one. So I really like the freshness and the kind of like woodiness I find in the silk mood. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to temper the sweetness in the oud satin mood. And I just felt like they would blend really well together. I remember I tried some other variations on oud satin mood because I wasn't sure if you could just like how do I explain this? Okay. So also getting into creation, you can't necessarily just like blend two things in proportion and like expect them to work. Like you do have to usually change your formula when mm -hmm. you want two fragrances to come together. So I was like, I'm not sure if this is even going to work. And mm -hmm. when he sent the samples, this was by far like my, my favorite rework of it. And it's, it smells like a fragrance on its own. Um, but it is like, you know, taking the qualities of these two fragrances. If someone stops you on the street, you can literally be like, um, it's custom. So yeah. I can't. Yeah, I can't. I'm so sorry. <laughs> I guess going off of that, what I'm curious about is like you said, you know, you can't just take two separate fragrances, no matter how good each of them are and assume that they'll work together. How yeah. do you think that that extends to like layering perfumes? And, and what do you think about layering perfumes? So um, I talk about this on my channel and it's because, so yes, if you spray perfumes directly on top of each other, I find it really doesn't work as well because it's like the two juices are mixing, right? Mm -hmm. And then so not that reactions are happening. I don't think the chemistry is working that way, but I just find it doesn't work as well. Whenever I layer perfume, I like to do a spray on my chest of one and a spray on my neck of the other. And that way you're just getting the sillages of both mm -hmm. as opposed to actually mixing the oils, which then, you know, for whatever reason, it just doesn't work as well that way. Interesting. So let someone smell the sillage mixing in the air versus exactly. combining the formulas. I was just talking to a, a previous guest who said that they spray one thing on like their left side and another thing on their right. And that that combine, you know, it's about the sillage. Yes, Interesting. absolutely. Okay. I love that. Okay. So before we get any further, I have to ask, do you have, I mean, I feel like that's kind of what you're wearing today, but would you say you have a signature scent? Uh, no, I low, I do wear, and this is on a whole other thing from like Maison Francis, Kirk Dijon. I wear La Belle by Jean-Paul Gaultier a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and because I get so many compliments on it, so it's become my signature scent because when I see my friends, I know they love to smell it on me. It's probably my boyfriend's favorite fragrance on me as well. So it's not that I wear it as much as I wear my other fragrances, but if I'm going out, that's likely what I'm wearing. Ooh, okay. I haven't smelled La Belle, so I need to add oh. it to my list. I've seen you talk about yeah. it a lot. And it sounds like exactly what I'm, it's like a warm pear scent, right? Like Exactly. Exactly. Why pear have I not tried vanilla. this? That sounds like, for everyone listening, there was a mystery where basically I smelled a fragrance on a stranger in a bar in 2019. Mm -hmm. And for the past three years, four years of my life, I've been trying to pick up the pieces and figure out what that scent was. And everybody says, well, what were the notes? And honestly, at the time, like I couldn't, it tell you what the notes were because it was I wasn't as deep in my perfume experience but in retrospect mm -hmm. there was definitely some pear note in there and then I feel like mm -hmm. there was some maybe some rose and definitely some warm ambery scents and vanilla uh -huh. and I don't know whenever I, I hear about a sweet pear I'm like I have to try it because it could be the one I don't think this could be the one because I think it came out after COVID so okay so then it wouldn't be the one it wouldn't be the one but it could be the next one it could be the next one. Wow. Okay, Ashley, you're already selling me on this. Okay, so the final question I always ask every guest is, do you have any fragrance, hot takes, or controversial opinions? Okay. Maybe controversial. 
I think we're at a better state now with modern perfumery than we were with vintage perfumery. I know people love their vintage bottles. They are on eBay looking for things from 1905. But I think, you know, like with all industries, especially all science-based industries, um, we've advanced and we do really cool stuff now. And so while I appreciate vintages and there are still vintage fragrances that I love, I think we're doing more interesting things now. What's in advance now that makes you say that? We have so many more materials in our palette. I understand it is very sad that we can't, you know, use the high atronol oak moss and, you know, all the things, sandalwood, right, because of eco issues, at least not mm -hmm. like the, we still have the album, but it's grown in Australia instead of India now and things like this. But mm -hmm. we have so many more new and exciting molecules, like literally molecules that no one's ever smelled before. And we're coming out with new ones every single year. And so maybe it's not that, you know, of course there's a place for vintage perfumery. And I think it's, I'm glad they're still making some of those like um, classic fragrances, but I don't like cry for those days in the way that some like diehard niche people do. I think we like the best is yet to come with fragrance. Oh, okay. Interesting. So I'm curious because you said there are molecules people have never smelled before. And that makes mm -hmm. me wonder when chemists and when perfumers are working on developing new molecules, are they always inspired, whether it's, you know, something synthetic or a raw material or not, but are they always inspired by something that people have smelled in real life or could a, a molecule, like, you know how we can't imagine a color we've never seen, like mm -hmm. is a molecule a, a, a smell that we can't even conceive of? I mean, even when you think of aquatics, right, like a lot of them are largely synthetic. Like, I don't believe calone exists in nature. And if it does, it's not in this aquatic way, right? You know, there's no calone in like a natural sea breeze. Um, right. And there's so many new molecules after calone became such a, a heavy hit. Um, there's a lot of new molecules in this aquatic space that are completely synthetic. You know, they don't smell like a vegetable or a fruit. Some of them can be a bit melony, but a lot of the new things Maybe there's a reference to something in nature, mm. but actually they really are entirely new smells. And in addition to these smells that, you know, only can be synthesized and don't exist in nature, even things that do exist in nature, we're able to isolate them now in ways that we weren't able to before. So back in the day, like perfumers were very reliant on naturals and bases. And mm -hmm. now, you know, because I have all the acetates, alcohols, ketones that exist in nature, at least a lot more of them than they did back then. I can recreate my perfect rose exactly how I want. If I don't want it to be too certainola lemony, if I want to focus on more of the myrrh facets of rose, I can create that or I can take my favorite rose oil and I can augment that part of the rose instead of the part that smells artichokey that maybe I'm not so crazy about. Okay, so what is your perfect rose if you were to recreate it? Definitely a more like honeyed, jammy, balsamic rose. Um, at least that's what I tend towards more in fragrance, these like heavy, opulent fragrances. Me too. And sometimes I wear those out and I want the fresh rose. Mm -hmm. But what's nice is with my job, I can kind of, I get to do it all. Whatever my mood is, I can create the rose according to my mood. Uh, okay, well, we're going to get to your job, but let's go back to the beginning, okay? Mm -hmm. So for everybody who's listening... Ashley is currently an apprentice perfumer at Givadon, but I would love to hear 
where this love all began. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like my perfume roots are almost a bit embarrassing. I was like 13 or 14 and I wanted to graduate from Bath and Body Works into like a real grown-up perfume from like the Macy's fragrance counter. You know, like it was that time I felt like I was turning 15 or something or I don't know. I really had these like ideas as a teenager. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, okay, it's time. It's time for my signature scent. And I made my mom drive me all around the city, like North Nordstrom's, Macy's, like every major department store searching for my signature scent. I love that. Um, I would love to know 15-year-old Ashley. (laughs) And she got tired, like bless her. I think we did this for like a month and I couldn't decide on anything. And at the time I thought like, I I need a signature. Like I can't have multiple fragrances. Like I didn't Mm -hmm. know that was really a thing. I thought like you have a signature. And She, my mom got tired and she's like, this one, this one's really good. You should go for this one. And me admiring my mother so much. And I still do. I was like, perfect. And she picked for me, a 14 year old Lancome's Miracle Forever, which even now is like a fragrance for a much older woman. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, I tried wearing it for like, you know, perfume is obviously expensive, especially for like a young teenager. So I, Mm -hmm. I gave it my all and I didn't like it. You know, it wasn't the right age fit for me. Again, now Mm -hmm. I find perfume ageless, but at the time I was very conscious of this. Mm -hmm. Now my fragrance budget is obviously dwindled after this purchase. So I head to like a Ross or a Marshalls and I pick up the classic, the iconic Paris Hilton by Paris Hilton. Okay. (laughs) Wait, I've heard that there are pheromones in that. I don't know if you can confirm or deny, but. I can, I, I genuinely do not know, but I remember I liked that aspect of the marketing at the time. I was like, yeah. perfect. And I'll be irresistible. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> and, you know, that was cool. That was cool for like freshman year of high school. And I kept still reading though, because I was like, this still isn't like feeding my soul. As mm-hmm. nice as that fragrance was, and I think it's a great fragrance for like a young teenager. Mm-hmm. And that's when I found niche. And then I, you know, just started taking part to even to stores I could never afford, you know, as a young teenager, like Neiman's and Barney's and stuff and just smelling their fragrance counters because San Francisco didn't, you know, really have like Tiger Lily, which is a niche perfumery until I was almost in college. Mm -hmm. So, and then I spent all my weekends there. I think so many people who become obsessed with perfume, it's in search of the one. It's almost like dating. Like it's almost like you fantasize that someday you will have this aha moment. I mean, I'm in I'm in that camp, you know? Like you think like there's going to be a day where I smell something and I'll never want to wear anything else, but I feel like to love perfume is to accept that you're always going to crave different things and like yeah. things will feel like the one for certain moods. I don't know if you have you come close since that search began to where you are now to finding one fragrance that you feel like this is it. I think my failure in my earlier fragrance hunting is that I thought a fragrance could embody my personality. And I think that's what a lot of people look for. And you would never ask that of a shirt or like a single outfit. You're so right. right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot to ask of one perfume. So I think my wardrobe now encapsulates my personality. But I don't think, and now I could create a fragrance, right? That has the fruity aspect, the vanilla, the fresh, I could do it all. And even if I did that, and of course I have tried, Mm -hmm. um, it just, it hasn't happened. So I I now believe that, no, there's no, if one outfit can't embody you, one perfume can't embody you. 
Okay, did I tell you this episode was good or what? I am interrupting your listening to bring you a quick Smell Club update. I know you are all wondering when the heck the signups are coming. It could be as soon as tonight or tomorrow. There were some delays in getting product. So that is why I have not released the tickets yet. But I promise tickets and packs should go up very soon, either today or tomorrow. Keep your eyes out. Check my Instagram stories. Check your emails. More to come. What was the first fragrance that you smelled? Because I know you said, you know, uh, Miracle Forever and mm-hmm. Sultan like sort of work, but not really. What was the first niche fragrance you smelled where you're like, oh shit, like this is really it. And like, I could, I want to go into perfume. Like how did this go from a passion to a career path? Yeah, I would say Shergi by Serge Dutton. Mm-hmm. Um, was it for me because I hated it so much when I first smelled it, but I got a sample anyways because it was like so lauded on fragrance review things. I think I was probably 17 when I first smelled it mm-hmm. and I ended up loving it so deeply. I think it's what really made me understand niche perfumery and let me just really get into perfume. Um, and then shortly after I bought Chocolate Greedy by Montal. So clearly I was still, you know, I was still a young teenager. I still wanted to smell yeah. edible. Like I I liked this tobacco, hay, dry fragrance. But at the same time, like I was, you know, straddling two lines here. I still love Gourmand. So I still feel like I'm doing that like type of thing where they say it's like more cerebral fragrances versus just like immediate loves. And a lot of the Serge Luton on like Bois de Violette, I also really loved and was like a huge like wow, this is so beautifully put together and artistic. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I know you've been in the industry or perfume adjacent for at least a decade, and now you're currently an apprentice perfumer. Where did you start in this industry and what's been your journey to where you are now? So I started in this industry um, in university. I started working at Tiger Lily Perfumery in San Francisco, and I began being mentored by some of the most amazing women like Yosh Han. Yosh! Yes. uh, One of my first ever perfumery classes was her class, and it was offered to me by Antonia, who's the owner of Tiger Lily, who was like my perfume angel. I feel like I've had many in And Yosh really, you know, I took her intro class and then she had me over at her studio to blend and she was just so like supportive of my dreams. And then there was also Inika Reland, who is another San Francisco perfumer who trained at Isipka. And she was also so helpful and supportive. And, you know, there's no fragrance companies on the West Coast, right? There's no Jivanon for a minute, Simrise, that type of Mm -hmm. thing. So the amount of fragrance internships and jobs you can get on the West Coast outside of like, you know, a perfume store is really non-existent. And so I felt very lucky to have two successful independent perfumers really take me under their wing and show me um, some of the beginning steps to fragrance creation. And just, I think just giving the moral support more than anything Mm -hmm. that I could do, it made a huge impact. And then I, so this whole time I was majoring in chemistry and... Were you majoring in chemistry because you knew that this is where you were headed? Exactly. So you were always very directed. Exactly. Um, I, again, I found out about like niche in high school and it was just a moment where I realized this is the one thing I really love and someone somewhere must make it. I didn't really know about perfumers. I didn't really know anything about the industry because again, this was even before Tiger Lily. Um, but I knew that someone must make it. So I did a Google search, you know, thankfully I came up, I grew up when there was already Google and that's when I found out about Isipka. And so I was like, cool, I'll major in chemistry. 
it was not my I would have never thought I would have majored in chemistry and you know it's not in high, like in high school I wasn't great at it like I really liked like English and literature and that type of thing but mm-hmm. I was like okay we have to do it like I love perfume ended up being fine and then I got accepted into Isipka did three years there and, and wait tell us about Isipka for everyone listening because I, I I'm not even completely familiar with it Okay, so Isipka is probably the most prestigious external perfumery school. So there's a number of external perfumery schools, and by that I mean external to a fragrance house. Mm -hmm. So there's about five major fragrance houses, and all of them have some kind of internal perfumery program, and um, that's how you become a perfumer. You Mm -hmm. have to go through a house's internal perfumery program before you can become a perfumer. So to get into a house's internal perfumery program, though, you generally have to go to an external perfumery school like mm-hmm. Isipka, like the Ecole Supérieure du Parfum, like the Grass Institute of Perfumery. Mm-hmm. Or you work for one of these major fragrance houses for a couple years and ask to be put trained into their internal perfumery school. Mm-hmm. So the program that I did at Isipka is the Masters of Science in Scent Design and Creation. Um, mm-hmm. And it was the inaugural class. So I was the first, I was in the first batch to ever go through it. I think the biggest thing that you do in Isipka is that it gives you access to materials. So you get to mm-hmm. learn all your materials. Um, it's complimentary. So to become a perfumer, you can't just do Isipka and then forge your own way, like, oh, or immediately start as a junior perfumer. Any of the big houses are going to want to, are going to make you go through their training. This next, is assuming after. that you're not going to be an independent perfumer, right? Like if you want to work for a fragrance house, you're saying. Yeah. And I think something that surprised me a bit about Isipka was, you know, you, so I'll walk through the program that I went to, which is the only fragrance creation program offered in English. It's it's mm-hmm. the MSC Scent Design Creation, Scent mm-hmm. Design and Creation. And so the first two years, you're learning materials. Um, the second half of the second year, you're starting to do, you're copying accords and then you're copying fragrances. And then the third year, you know, you do a bit more of the consumer product side. So you learn how to do some um some consumer fragrance shimas. I, I can't really remember the ones we did. I think we did like a head and shoulder shampoo or something like this, mm. like learning those types of shimas as well, but it's still mostly fine based. And when I was there, we had um, two, three months internships as perfumer trainees, which I don't know if they still offer. I know they modified that part a little bit. Mm-hmm. Where was your internship? I had two internships in New York City, which was incredible. Um, and I had an amazing mentor. I had two really great mentors there and I got to like, you know, work on some fine fragrances and it was amazing. But I remember leaving Isipka and being like, I still can't make a fragrance, right? right. Like, I still need a lot more training. And at first that was really surprising to me because I have my master's in this. Mm -hmm. And then I realized, you know, there's a lot of independent perfumers that I admire and almost all of them had either gone through a school's internal training program, right? Like um, Mm -hmm. Olivia Jacobetti, I think she trained at Robert Hay, like Mm -hmm. Bertrand Duchefort, I think trained at a, a major fragrance house as well before going independent as well. And I think Cecile Zorokin also trained at a fragrance house. Then you have, you know, more artisan perfumers and they've trained for tens of years, right? Like Bruno Fazolari, I know, trained for like 10 years 
you know, on his own doing his own blends and he's an amazing perfumer, but there's a lot of time that was put into that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so three years, you know, you can start out, do your independent perfume thing, but it's going to still take some practice, even if you don't go into a major fragrance house after Isipka. So when you were saying like, uh, if someone trains independently for 10 years, how mm-hmm. would someone like, how would someone know what to do? And if they're training themselves, like how do people train themselves independently? Would you say, or you don't honestly, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, yeah. I feel very lucky that, you know, Jivadon, we get all our materials. I'm training under Khalees Becker, which is like a Amazing. dream. Right? Oh my God. Um, That's so cool. Yeah. It's the coolest thing ever. She is incredible as well. And um, so, but people do it. I do, I definitely don't want to be the person to be like, this is, you know, you have to go to a house or you're not a real perfumer. I don't believe right. that at all because I've, Tiger Lily, we had so many amazing artisan perfumers, but I also don't want to get the, you know, the message across that, yes, you can just mix some things together for a couple months and you get it. Like it is a craft that you really have to devote yourself to. Mm-hmm. And it can be as, it can be frustrating. It's of course very rewarding, but it takes a really long time to kind of develop the savoir-faire, the know-how behind it. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you graduate Isipka mm-hmm. and then you're like, uh, I still don't know how to make perfume. What was the next path to getting into Jiv? And um, what did you feel like you did know how to do at the time that you graduated from Isipka? So graduating from Isipka, I knew my materials really well. And so, and that already is such a huge gift, I think, because, you know, we memorized something like close to 800 materials at that program at Isipka. And like, that's insane. Yeah. And where was I going to get those materials from? Right. I wasn't about to buy 800 fragrance materials. So there is definitely the, again, Isipka and like the Jividon, Ferminich, whatever, all those other internal programs are complementary. You know, I see why both are necessary. Mm-hmm. So I knew all my materials. I knew how to put together some very simple accords. I knew some schemas of some heavy hitter fragrances, right? Like Coco mm-hmm. Mademoiselle, you know, they open up the formula and you can kind of see how that one fragrance works. But mm-hmm. you really have to see a lot more before you're able to, of course, you can put together a fragrance. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, you want to be able to put together like the greatest fragrance of all time, right? You want to be able right. to put together the fragrance that you would buy in the store. And that's, and also I think I had very high expectations for myself being a fragrance lover, which right. contrary to maybe popular belief, not everyone that goes into perfumery school, they might be interested in, in creation, but a lot of my classmates weren't into like the market. They weren't into like, you know, collecting and brands and niche the same way that I was. And so right. I had very, very, I was very rigorous because, you know, you're into fragrance. You know you're a how consumer of what things. you're making. Yeah, exactly. And I was like, okay, I'm definitely not making the next Shergi with what I know right now. So in my last year at Avisipka is when I applied to Jivadon. So I entered my third year and I was like, I'm 100% going to need more training. And I also knew that I really wanted to be making the fragrances on the market. At this stage of my life, I don't feel like I'm even ready to have like my own brand and everything. I want to be creating stuff that's going to touch a lot of people. And that means working for a very big house. Right. Um, and so I knew that meant, you know, Jivadon, Ferminage, IFF, Simrai, something like this. Mm-hmm. Jivadon is the leader and um, one of the biggest, if not the biggest, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. So I applied there. They have the Jivadon Perfumery School, which is, I actually don't know. I don't know how other internal training programs work. 
But the way the Jivadan Perfumery School is, there's usually like a director. So in our case, it's Khalees. And those, you know, four years are just for learning. And there's no pressure on you except to learn and explore all your fragrant dreams. And it sounded like a fairy tale. And I'm happy to report that it really has been a fairy tale. Um, so I applied. I didn't think, you know, I had a snowball's chance of getting in because, you know, they say there's like 5,000 applicants and they take like one or two people a year, which is all true. Oh and I was gosh. like, well, you know, I'm, I'm graduating with like 10 other people, you know, but in the class below me, there's 20 other people and, you know, classes above me. I mean, there's all these applicants that have all, that also have formal perfume training. Mm -hmm. I got in, you know, it was one of the happiest days of my life, obviously. That's amazing. And, and now I'm here and it's been incredible. So knowing how competitive it is to get into a big house like that, where are the rest of your peers who you graduated with Isipka from? Like, did most of them go on to further perfume school or what are they doing now? So, you know, even with a master's of scent design and why can't I say it today? Master's of science and scent design and creation. It's a mouthful. There we go. <laughs> it is. Um, you know, not everyone necessarily wants to be a perfumer. They do train you on how to, the basics of scent creation. Um, but some people ended up doing like, um, analysis for fragrances, right? So they're more on the lab side of it. Mm -hmm. Some people wanted, uh, ended up being evaluators. I think you have to, like, I knew that I wanted to be a perfumer. Like that was mm -hmm. sure. I turned down an evaluator role prior to that because I knew that I wanted to be a perfumer. Other people are more flexible um, and they just, they want to be in the industry, which is also very understandable. Some people are very passionate about evaluation and they didn't want to be a perfumer at all. Mm -hmm. So they're usually in other roles within the industry. Who are your peers in this illustrious Jivadan program? Like did they all also have like this pre-training. I know you mentioned like some people get in internally, like what is that like? Yeah, so um, my year they actually took quite a bit more than usual. So we started as a batch of six. And so, but then they didn't take for three years afterwards to kind of keep it at two a year. Oh my God. When you say like so many more than usual and then the number is six, it's, that just shows <laughs> how crazy competitive it is. Yeah, and, and I mean, I think this was, unheard of it. They took six people at a time. So um, we have people from, we have someone from South Africa, someone from Brazil, Italy, France, and the United States. And that's the program. <laughs> and, that, and that's, and that's, that's the program. Um, and we recently just got, not part of my initial batch, but now I'm, I've been here three years. So we just took again and we have someone from Japan. So it's very, very international. It's just, it's such an incredible experience. Like it's, it's hard to put into words. Like I, you know, Isipka also, we got to meet people from all over, but I think this is even more diverse because it's really like almost someone from every continent, of course. Right. And um, what you learn, you know, like also like people from different regions have such different scent memories and smell right. memories and experiences. And so you give them something to smell and you think you're showing them a plum for them. It's a peach, you know, and mm. or something even vastly more different. So everyone's very intelligent. Everyone is honestly amazing to work with. Um, and even like, so we have two new students, right? The guy from Japan and another guy from Poland. And, you know, they're brand new, but 
it also helps you in your learning, like just seeing how they smell a fragrance, how they perceive a fragrance, seeing how they put things together. Something that's very unique about the Givadon Perfume School is that we will show each other our formulas. Like mm -hmm. it's so open, it really fosters a collaborative atmosphere as opposed to a competitive atmosphere. And it just helps you advance as a perfumer so, so much. Mm -hmm. um, about So in my batch, my initial batch of six, about half of us, let me think. No, four of the six had previously mm -hmm. worked for Jivadon. As like evaluators or in like some yes. other like, okay. Two had been evaluators um, mm -hmm. and the other two had been perfumers assistants. Mm -hmm. So, and I think all of them had been doing this for at least three years each. So they had been mm -hmm. working for Jivadon between three and eight years each before being accepted into the perfumery school. Mm -hmm. um, and then me and one other girl, we joined outside of Jivadon. Would you say that there is like a Givadon style? Like, are you learning something that you feel is like the Givadon flair or it's really just a broader stroke than that? And if so, what is the Givadon flair? Yeah, no, actually. So basically all the perfume schools, and I think most of the fragrance houses had been teaching according to something called the Jean-Carl method, which of course was also created by Givadon. Um, but no, um, but it basically this method was what, marked a change in the way perfumery was taught. And so now it's what's taught at Isipka and everywhere. And we actually kind of just changed that. So now we're learning a completely different way. And I got to learn compared to the classic way, which is the Jean-Carl method, which was still great because previously things were kind of just being thrown and, you know, you're sticking things, you're throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. And we've really started learning fragrance creation based on nature which mm -hmm. has radically changed, I think, the way I create fragrances, the way I see fragrances. Um, but, you know, we learn, one of the ways that we learn how to do a perfume is like we pick a flower, we have a garden. We're so blessed to have this garden because we learn fragrance seasonally. So right now the roses are blooming, right? So I <laughs> in the morning I wake up, I cut a rose, I smell the rose and I mimic the rose to perfection to where what? if you were like blindfolded, you couldn't tell what I made and the rose apart. How and do you do that? I mean, I know that, that I don't know how to, how you would answer that, but like, how do you do that? So, you know, you know, there are certain volatile organic compounds that are being emitted from the rose, right? These are the things well, that- Well, you make... know that. I <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course, right. <laughs> yeah. So you know that when you smell a flower, there's good stuff coming out of it, right? Mm -hmm. Yes. Those are the volatile organic compounds. And so, the, yeah, exactly. Know, precisely. <laughs> precisely. The VOCs, as we like to call them. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so, you know, with uh, gas chromatography, we're able to identify exactly what those compounds and molecules are. They're wow. in the perfumer's palette. We learn them when I, we learn our materials. So in a rose, right, there's citronellol, there's phenylethyl alcohol, there's geraniol, there's rose oxide. I'm smelling the rose. I'm picking up all those molecules. And then wow. I'm figuring out the ratio in my formula so that I can match that rose to perfection. And I'm not just doing that for one rose in the garden. So I have an accord that's rosa damascena, rosa centifolia, uh, a mm -hmm. musk rose, a foxtrot rose. I mean, like, all the different proportions that I've smelled in nature, I have accords for. And it's wow, so fun, honestly. So actually, you know what? This is not something I thought I'd bring up. But now that you say it, I have noticed um, in fragrances, one of the most varied uh, ingredients I see is rose with like Turkish rose, Damask rose, Centifolia. Mm -hmm. How would you describe the differences in smell of like the main 
hero types of roses we see in fragrances? So, you know, the two roses that are or rose breeds that are largely used in perfumery are Rosa Damascena and Rosa Centifolia. Rosa Damascena is often what we think of as the Bulgarian rose, although it's grown, you know, in a bunch of different places as well. And so this rose I find to be primarily citronellol, geraniol, a more citrusy rose. And when I mm -hmm. smell absolutes and oils of it, this is what I get. Rosa Damascena is also the rose oil that we see in Turkish rose oil, but something about the way it's grown there gives it a slight artichoke facet, which I think is fascinating, that mm. you don't get in the absolutes. Rosa Centifolia is one of the most glorious things I have ever smelled personally, and it's higher in phenyl ethyl alcohol and rose oxide, which to me are more like these fruity, again, more myrrh aspects of Ooh. the rose. And I remember I smelled a quality of Rosa Centifolia Absolute that I swear had like this like sweet balsamic vanilla facet to it, almost veering on like a touch of marshmallow in addition to like this beautiful, full blooming rose. And it's very, very special. But wow. yeah, I would say those are the three. So like Centifolia Damascena or Bulgarian, Turkish, and then grass, which a lot of times is the, the Centifolia. It's so interesting because, you know, as someone who has tried to just like train my nose on just like raw materials, I'm trying mm. to just make sure that I can pick up that there's a jasmine or a rose or a Lang Lang. And as a perfumer, you're not picking up just that. You're picking up the molecules that create all, like it's, it's just absolutely fascinating what your training and your nose and your brain can do because it's like it's so incisive and it's so granular and it's it's just fascinating to hear that. Well, I think this is kind of like why I wanted to have classical training background as well, because again, these are not things you can do as an independent perfumer. You're not right. going to have access to a fragrant garden with like, you know, tens of different varieties of rose. And not just that, we have like several varieties of iris and wisteria, flowers I had never heard of, like a viburnum, you know, that we're also mm -hmm. recreating. And so, and just access to this knowledge, like even knowing what molecules are being emanating, are emanating from a plant, like that's not necessarily easy information to get your hands on. And yeah. what you were saying, how it's difficult for you to pick things out. I mean, the thing is, I find it really difficult to deduce notes in a fragrance because the people that come out with the notes list are people in marketing. Yes, they'll right. work sometimes with the perfumer, but, you know, they're trying to, to not fluff up the fragrance, but try to describe it as best as they can, you know, without necessarily having all this perfume knowledge. I and, need to pause you know, for one second and just have like repeat that sentence because that's a huge like knowledge drop that the people sure. who list the ingredients in fragrances that are marketed are the marketers and not the perfumers. Right. Even the perfumers, like, you know, if I was to create a rose, right, like I just told you, I would want to make this like balsamic rose with like myrrh facets and stuff like that. That might not be the rose that you smell in your garden, right? You might have this like fresher, more citrusy rose. Mm -hmm. And so you smell my perfume and you're like, okay, I thought I knew what a rose was. How is this also a rose? And right. so I feel sometimes for the consumer, because it must be so confusing, you know, when you think you like apricot and then you smell another apricot fragrance and it's awful, but it's really just up to the perfumer's interpretation and, and what you resonate with mm -hmm. or not. And even I remember um, recently seeing someone mention that like they loved amber, but hated mm -hmm. labdanum. They're, they're the same thing, right? right? So, but how are you supposed to know that? Like, I didn't know that until I was in perfume school. And 
labdenum just to to start off i know like in my palette i think i have eight different qualities that smell vastly different and one smells like this creamy vanilla ambery and one smells right. so green and so bitter and off-putting that i'm like that's probably what she smelled and then you know there's also synthetic ambers that have nothing to do with labdenum like ambroxan right. and so how can you there's one note and like 20 different smells for it sometimes right right and even within the different houses, it's like a Ferminish labdenum might smell different than a Jividon labdenum, right? Like it's like yeah. you guys create your own molecules. So it's it's all going to be slightly different expressions and interpretations even just by like the ingredients you guys have access to. Right. But even here, what I'm saying is even the plant has like mm-hmm. four different smells. Right. Just depending on how they choose to distill it. While we're on this topic, just because this is something I've always been curious about, you were talking about how your garden that you have access to has many different mm-hmm. types of iris. Can you yeah. talk about the, the basic different smells of the different types of iris? Because I see like iris florentine and iris palladia and like what what are the main differences in the different um, varietals? Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's iris butter, right? Right. Or the which concrete, is oris, right? which is oris. Exactly. Yeah. It, it's taken from the root. And yes, I believe there's like the palata, which is supposed to be the, the highest level. And one other quality that... At the moment, it doesn't come to mind, but I know the palette is supposed to be the nicest. And when you get that really expensive $70,000 a kilo right. butter, it's it's that. In the garden, actually, what we're smelling is the smell of the flower, which people don't really take into account the smell because the flower is never used in oil production. So mm-hmm. when you are getting an iris oil, it never, ever comes from the flower. It only ever comes from the root. And so when you want to get the smell of the flower... You need me to come through, smell the flower, make my little composition because the flower also smells so glorious. And Mm -hmm. it's not a scent that I ever find on the market. But also when you're smelling iris and fragrances, even if there's a touch of iris butter in there, it's really being augmented by ionones and irones. And that's Mm -hmm. really what you're smelling. I I love hearing from an expert because iris is like iris and oris are like two of my favorite notes in perfume. Mm -hmm. And sometimes I talk about them so deeply that I confuse myself and I'm like, well, iris butter is iris, but then this fragrance is calling it oris butter. So is iris butter different than oris butter or? No, no, no. Okay. If if they're claiming this note, because I feel like the flower, I think it will get trendy, but the the iris flower isn't so trendy, right? It's always the butters, the idea of the root, this smell that's very trendy. And no, I mean, I, as far as I, iris, it's the root, it's iris oris. They're talking about the root and that root smell that's, uh, yeah, it's very iron. So if you could do it differently now with everything you've done, would you recommend trying to get into perfume school by working at the house first, or would you do the path that you, you took? I think it's, it's hard because, you know, the path that I took worked out very well for me and I'm very thankful for that. At the same time, I get a lot of messages from people that can't necessarily afford perfumery school because it's not cheap. It's really quite expensive because you're paying tuition, which is cheaper than a grad school in the United States, but you're also going to be paying for housing in a city like Paris is pricey. And because it's in um, international school without American accreditation, you can't qualify for any loans. And so I would say, you know, if you're willing to spend, if you have the luxury and the privilege to spend three years paying tuition and you know that, you know, it's, it's going to be a while before you 
become a perfumer because I feel like I got very lucky to be accepted into perfumery school right out the bat. But like I said, there's a lot of people that can wait up to eight years before they're accepted into a perfumery school. So again, if you're okay with going to the school and paying the tuition and doing that, then do that. You know, it's definitely, I think, the more fun way of doing it, getting to live in Paris and study in perfumery school. The campus is beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, But of course, like more realistically in a way that I think maybe speaks to the average person wanting to be a perfumer, working internally is 100% a valid and possible way of getting into an internal perfumery program. I wouldn't even say, you know, one's better than another. One takes more time than another because I've seen it go both ways. I think both are very valid options. And if you get in as a as an employee, don't they mm-hmm. pay for your perfume school? Yes. Yes, they do. So that's wild. That's vastly different. It is. Every house does it a little bit differently and it's subject to change. But like, you know, um, they accommodate us, which if you're an expat, if you're if you're local, if you're already European, that doesn't come into play. And yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those it's it's nice to be compensated as for a school where you're used to um, paying tuition. So it's yeah. a bit like a Ph.D. in that way. Right. right like right. you're getting paid instead of you paying. OK, well. You did mention being in Paris and how fun it is to be a student. And I'm looking at you, you know, we're on a Zoom recording for everyone listening. And I see these big, beautiful Parisian windows. And I know (laughs) your Instagram handle is Ashley in Paris. I assume it's a nod to Emily in Paris. It is not. It's not. I would just like to say it's not. I came first. (laughs) Ashley in Paris. Everyone on the record was before Emily in Paris. Years. I've accepted it because the show is so cute that I'm like, okay, we can both be in Paris. There's room enough for the both of us. There's room for both American girls in Paris. So what is your life like? Like, what is it like to be in perfume school in Paris? It's incredible. Like, honestly, like I wake up in the morning, like I see the Arc de Triomphe every single day. Oh my God. Um, It's on like my walk to to the bus, it's just there. I pass by it. I can get a little peek at the Eiffel Tower as well. Um, And then I take a 10 minute train um, into work where there is, I mean, the garden right now is like so lush and so beautiful. There's like wisteria, like falling. We have peonies that like can't even survive their own weight. There's so many of them. They're just like overflowing Um, and roses and irises in bloom. Oh my God. Um, I just pause this recording for the highway sounds and you're like, there's peonies that can't support themselves. (laughs) They're in such full bloom. (laughs) Do you like living, like, do you plan to come back to the States when you, you're in your third out of four years, right? Yes. Do you plan to come back to this, to the U.S. or do you think you're, you're an expat for Evs? Uh, I, I, I vacillate because, you know, it would be lovely to, to live in New York, you know, um, but I'm also really loving Paris. And so I'm trying not to, I don't know. I, I'm trying not to think about it too much until the end of my perfumery school times. Is there a different curriculum each year? Like, are you going to learn something different in year four than you are in year three? Um, you know, year four is actually like when we start hitting the ground running and we do different like rotations to see kind of how the company works. So we'll learn about the analysis department, um, the tech, the tech department. So there's also another branch of perfumery. And um, they basically just like perfume because regulations are a huge thing in perfumery, mm-hmm. right? And so they're here just to manage that 
that? Like, are we going to have to replace something? Smelling different qualities or the qualities of the naturals consistent, things like that. So we do rotation mm -hmm. there. I'm going to go to Munich for like two months, Switzerland for a month, like just to learn about different sites. I might go to Sao Paulo in Mexico. Like they wow. really send you all over to really understand the business and stuff like that. So in terms of actual learning, I'm almost done right now. I'm working on my masterpiece, um, which What's I'll that? be present. So my masterpiece is like um, a fragrance creation that I just get to do on my own and I get to present. Um, right now, I think I'm going to do it on the smell of this. So um, my origins are Mexican mm -hmm. and there is a plum in Mexico that you actually can't get in the States. Um, and it's actually not a variety of plum. It's called a jocote. And it smells divine. And we make a dessert of it where it's like we stew them in this like un unfiltered, like the rawest version of cane sugar. Like it's this brown sugar. Mm. And so and then a lot of times you pour the syrup and milk. So it's this like milky brown sugar plum fragrance that I'm working Sold. on. <laughs> it's everything I want in a perfume. And I'm really excited and really passionate about it just because I feel like these three materials blend together so beautifully. And then I'm also doing my thesis where I'm trying to like further research and I'm doing that on vanilla because I also just love vanilla and just um, comparing vanilla throughout the world, checking out those VOCs and seeing how Tahitian vanilla varies mm -hmm. from Madagascar vanilla to Mexican vanilla, because actually they really vary in their fragrance composition. Maybe mm -hmm. that's a bit too nerdy, but it's fascinating. Do you have a favorite vanilla thus far? Madagascar. Madagascar, Madagascar. I think is the best quality. <laughs> that's, that's what I've heard. Well, speaking of quality, do you think there is a certain price point where beyond that point you're just paying for the name of the brand? Like for example, I'm throwing out numbers here. So, you know, mm -hmm. correct me if you have a different number, if you disagree, but like, do you think after like $275, like anything after that is just like about the marketing and the cachet of the brand, or are there certain brands that are $500 and it's like, because it should be $500. You know, what's kind of a shame is that even I don't know sometimes because there are fragrances on the market that will be $100 and that brand didn't actually choose to invest something that was close to that. And then there's another fragrance that's $100 and that brand really did invest you know, in the fragrance development as opposed to the branding and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And there's no way to really know because sometimes the same brand, one fragrance they've decided to really invest in and the next, not so much. And so, you know, it's even within one brand or one price point, it's very hard to know because there's so much fluctuation. There's some brands that, you know, consistently invest in their fragrances. Um, I And it, it's still not so clear. Like I know Tom Ford, they invest a lot of money in their fragrances, stuff like mm -hmm. that. Like, mm -hmm. um, and you can see because it's a brand that's like willing to take risks and things like that. And I don't think I can shed any light on this that, you know, perfume enthusiasts haven't already covered because the consumer is intelligent and you can smell quality. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, perfume isn't just the materials. It's the hours and hours of putting things together, because if you just wanted mm -hmm. to wear pure iris oil, you know, you can buy two mils that will last mm -hmm. you a lifetime for an, a pretty affordable amount. Right. But it's like you want the blend and you want the pizzazz and it's definitely not easy to create. And, and when you, sometimes you have a $500 perfume and you can't find that smell anywhere else. And so right. then it's right. worth it. Right. Because right. Nothing else yeah. smells like it. 
I do want to go back to your life in Paris because I feel like I just scratched the surface and there's so much more I want to know. Like, what is the perfume scene like? Like, do all the perfumers at all the different houses know? Like, do all the apprentice perfumers know each other? And do you guys, like, get together and smell things? Like, what's your social life like? I wish. I know we tried um, once to try and get us all together and it fell through. Um, I would say I'm really close with my colleagues. We do go out together. They are such a fun bunch. Um, But I would say most of my friends are outside of the industry. And because there's so few of us, like we are a big batch, but generally other houses, right, they only have one or two other people at a time. So Mm -hmm. it's actually, it's just not big enough of a group to to even have a group but right obviously Paris is an amazing place to be there's always something to do with food with art with experiences I mean culturally Mm -hmm. it's a very rich city and is your boyfriend Parisian how did you guys meet and what is the story there my boyfriend is French. He is Parisian. Um, it's very funny because the first place that I lived here is actually two blocks away from where he grew up. So we thought that's cute. So like on one of our early dates, I was just like, oh, that's where I first moved in. And he should be like, oh, that's where I grew up. And he is a huge sweetheart. I met him at a housewarming party and I just thought he was really cute. And we've been together over a year now and he's just a dream. Your life, like if people could just see how I'm just like smiling, like I feel like I'm having this like when you like watch a charming rom-com and you like can't stop smiling, like I'm talking to you and I'm just like, so have you learned French? Oh God. Yeah. And can I just say it took me an embarrassingly long time. So I did Isipka for three years, right? Mm -hmm. And then when I joined Jividon, I actually joined in Singapore because there was an issue with my French visa. And so I couldn't be in the country and I had to get it sorted out overseas. Mm -hmm. And I swear when I left France, I could not speak French. And then I came back from Singapore and suddenly like all those three years came flooding into my brain and I finally became fluent. So it took me like three years to finally get it down, which is, you know, embarrassing when you've been immersed in it and everyone around you speaks it. And yeah. Yeah. But I I took French like growing up for people who listen to this podcast are like, shut up, Emma. But I took French in like middle school and high school and college. And sometimes I feel like if I'm like a few drinks in, it, like I, I don't, I relate to what you're saying of like all of a sudden, like vocabulary words just come yes. to me and conjugations come to me that I couldn't for the life of me like remember or access a day before. And Absolutely. Then, like, I remember I like went out with friends one night and like I was like a little bit drunk, came home, I was like, I'm gonna take a shower, go to bed. And I was in the shower and like all this French was like flowing through my brain. And I was like shampooing my hair and being like, and like talking to myself. I'm like, well, first off, this is crazy. But second off, like, where is where is this coming from? Like, yeah, just the way that you can access um, parts of your brain. I mean, I also think it's interesting that you're saying like it took you an embarrassing amount of time. And then you're talking about like how you can smell the compounds of different roses. Like there's you're you're so impressive to me. And the way your brain and your nose work and work together is absolutely fascinating. You are currently an apprentice perfumer. And I know that there's so many different titles, junior, perfumer, senior, master. Can you talk us through like what the different levels are and when you advance to each one? Oh, I would love to. Okay. Yes. Um, Because I get this question a lot and I get a lot of like, good luck with your career. Like, you know, I hope you get to become a perfumer one day type of things. Mm -hmm. So when you're a student in Isipka, you don't really have a title according to the houses, which dictate a lot of this, right? Like you could go off and being an independent perfumer, but then there's not really a rank, right? Like you're off and you're doing your own thing. So the rankings really come from 
these major houses. So the way they like to do it is when you're in the internal training program, you're an apprentice perfumer. Now, I even work on projects sometimes because I'm at the end of my training, um, but I'm an apprentice perfumer in about a year. I will be a junior perfumer and Mm -hmm. I will be a junior perfumer for another four to five years, which is Mm -hmm. very long. Um, I am the youngest person in my batch. I started when I was 25. So and that's pretty much the youngest you can be given that like you have to go to university, then a grad Mm -hmm. school. And then you join an internal program. So Mm -hmm. the youngest you can be for these things. So when I become a junior perfumer, I will be 29, maybe 30. Mm-hmm. That means I won't become a perfumer perfumer until I'm about 35 years old. So technically, like you can't even call yourself a perfumer. Probably the youngest is like 33, which is really funny because usually at that point, you know, you don't think of yourself as an apprentice or a junior or something that needs like a prefix right. to it, right. except right. in perfumery. Then after that, it's really based on performance, how much um, your how well your perfumes are doing. Then you become a senior. Then you become a potentially a vice president perfumer, and that is the ranking. So, what about master perfumers? Is that like its own caliber on its own? Like, how does one become a master perfumer? So, not every house will dub someone a master perfumer. Jividon doesn't do master perfumer. I believe IFF and Furminich do, and basically, it's like their two most senior, their best, their two best perfumers. But it also comes with seniority, so it's mm-hmm. more like there's not. It's not that everyone at this level can be a master perfumer. It's really like the preeminent perfumer for that house is this person. They're kind mm. of embodies the house, the ideals and all that stuff. Amazing. It, it's like when uh, the queen gives somebody like damehood and is like, okay, exactly. you're a dame. Wow. Exactly. This has been such an enlightening conversation. And I just feel like I understand so much better, like the ins and outs of, of just like what it means to be in perfume school. We do have one final segment of the show mm-hmm. and it is rapid fire scent association. It is called what's that smell. What's that smell? I'll just throw out a person, place, thing, whatever, and you tell me what the first smell, the first VOC that comes to mind. I'm nervous, but let's go. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Ashley, what is the smell of San Francisco? Ah, sea breeze, the ocean. Is it cologne cologne or just sea breeze? No, it's a bit dirtier than this. It's a bit more seaweed, algae, but it's still really nice. Mm. Okay, lovely. What is the smell of Paris? The smell of Paris to me is the smell of butter. You smell it emanating from all the boulangeries, the crepe places. And I am absolutely in love with French patisserie. And so it's so nice to just get these like little whiffs and hints of butter as you're walking through Paris. What is the smell of Givadon? Mm. For me, I would say it's Boudlea, which is this um, this flower that's at the entrance and it's a bit pyrazine, so it's a bit like baked bread, this flower. Mm. Do you think Givadon is known for any one thing? Like, do you think it's like, oh, that smells like a, a Givadon fragrance or no? I don't know. I feel like we've really pushed boundaries in terms of like categories because, you know, Limal and Angel are both Givadon fragrances and they both kind of like, you know, Limal really changed men's fragrances and Angel was one of the first gourmands on the market. So in ter- I mm-hmm. think... We, we definitely push, you know, new things onto the market and kind of like getting something new and changing the tide. I thought that Angel was Furminish. Angel is Olivier Cresp. Yeah. But I believe it's when he was at Givadon. 
Can perfumers switch houses? Like I associate Olivier oh, yeah. Crest with Fermanish, but like yeah. you could do stuff for Givadon and Roberté and like move around. So he started, I believe, at Givadon where mm-hmm. he made Angel and then he's been at Fermanish forever, you know, like you mm-hmm. of course associate with him. So you can switch afterwards. So that's how we have Angel. It's a Givadon fragrance, but it is by Olivier okay. Crest. Could a perfumer be a free agent? Where they're not, con- they have to be affiliated. Because Givadon owns everything I've ever made. That's how it can still be. That's how Angel is still a Givadon fragrance, but it's Olivier mm. Crest because Givadon owns that formula. Interesting. And see, and vice versa. I mean, we've taken Fermanage perfumers and those fragrances are Fermanage because they trained us. They gave us all our materials. Like you can't really create without them, right? Like you have to buy your right. own organ. It's very difficult. Right. So it's like whoever sourced them, whoever gave you the materials is clearly the house behind it. Okay. Right. Back to what's that smell. But that is very good. <laughs> I've always wondered that because I see that different perfumers are at different houses and I'm like, I thought they were a Fermanage perfumer. Okay. Yeah. What is the smell of love? Oh. I think skin, the skin of the person you love. What is the smell of um, teenage Ashley? Saccharine. Anything sweet. What is the smell? You're going to be like, shut up. What is the smell of Emily in Paris? <laughs> <laughs> like a dirty omelet pan? <laughs> the shade. Wow. Everybody, no. Ashley in Paris came first. Don't get it twisted. I, I think that's question I have you know when he gave her this pan I, I think she is so stylish and I love Lily Collins um yeah. but I was just like what does it smell like like how could she use it if he never washed it so like that's just I know my well that's question. my that's how I justify like not cleaning the dishes like the pans sometimes I'm like this is what the French people do so I'm just gonna no. leave it and my boyfriend's like that's disgusting like there's like <laughs> dirty grease in there I'm like all right then um okay the final question what is the smell of Ashley in Paris. Mm. Vanilla. Madagascar vanilla? Madagascar vanilla. Madagascar vanilla. Ashley, it's been so interesting and fun to chat with you. Um, for everybody listening, I know we didn't even get to this just because we had so many things to talk about, but you're on YouTube, you're on Instagram, you're on TikTok. Where can people find you um, across all of your channels? Yeah, I'm Ashley in Paris on all my handles, except for TikTok where it has been taken. And I'm Ashley in perfume there. Who's Ashley in Paris? Guys, she has no need... followers. She follows no one. If anyone knows Ugh. how to get handles, holler, That's very please. frustrating. You know, ain't <laughs> that the worst? Okay, Ashley, thank you so much for your time and wisdom. It has been a true pleasure to talk to you. Thank you, Emma. I had such a great time. Perfumer was edited by Wyatt Peak. Music is by Max Vernon. And illustrations are by Israel Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs>